Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Here's a story for you. Listen, the story is about a small plane. Are you listening? Say amen if you're listening. The story is about a small plane that was traveling from one destination to another with four people on board. The pilot, a boy scout, a minister, a computer whiz, and a genius. The plane was having trouble and looked like it was going down. The pilot said, the plane is going down. We have to abandon the aircraft. Well, there are only three parachutes, but there are four people. The pilot said, I think I should have one. I have a wife and three kids, and he grabbed one, and he jumped out. Well, the genius said, I'm the smartest man in the world. The whole world needs me. He grabbed one, and he jumped out. Well, the minister, who is really a great guy, (laughs) said to the Boy Scout, Listen, you're a little kid. You've got your whole life ahead of you. I'm older, and I've lived a good life. The Lord has used me. I'll go down with the plane. You jump out with the last parachute. Well, the boy said, relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. (laughs) We've been talking about the blessings that we have as believers in Christ. The Bible says, as we've discussed over the last several weeks now, there are six CDs in the book of, or pardon me, in chapter eight of the book of Romans, six CDs. A lot of discussion. Talking about we've been placed in him and we've been walking with him, empowered by him. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. And with this adoption we talked about, there's a new identification that we have as believers. And with this new ID, there are great and precious promises that come along with that. One of which we talked about in Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and peek at it in verse 28. Would you read it with me? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Saints, that's a great and precious promise. You know, Friday, as I was preparing Romans chapter 8, around verse 31, I got an email. Right as I was preparing, you know how the email just kind of pops through? I got an email from a sister in the church, and she said, Pastor Wright, I need you to pray for me. The doctors just told me that I've got a pituitary gland that's bleeding, she said. And, you know, God thing, God thing, I sent her back Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know. You know, I'm glad it doesn't say, and we see all things work together for good. Because oftentimes we don't see all things working together for good. 
I'm glad it doesn't say we feel all things are working together for good. Because oftentimes, you guessed it, we don't feel that all things are working together for good. The Bible says, and we know. Were you with us? This word know is not a word of intellectual knowledge. It is a word that implies that by the Spirit, because we are believers, that we have the Holy Spirit living with inside of us. And this knowledge that we have, that all things work together for good to those who love God, that knowledge does not come from something that you've learned. That knowledge comes from the impartation from the Holy Spirit. That's how you know it. You don't know it because you know it. You know it because the Spirit of God reveals it to you and gives you comfort that even when the doctors give you bad news and we know. I don't know how God's going to work it out because I'm not God. I know this. God's word is true. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? I just like to hear y'all say amen. And this is a great promise. We talked about that. I got to move on. I want to say more, but I can't. And we talked about that not only do we have great promise, but there is also great purpose because God is conforming us and transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And then there's great providence. We talked about this. If you've missed the teaching, we talked about the great providence that the events that happen in the life of the believer is not ruled by chance or fate, but there is a providential process that God is taking us through. So what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? I've titled my sermon, God is for us. God is for us. And this morning, if you're taking notes, we're going to outline five questions as it relates to God who is for us? If God is for us, here's our outline this morning. If God is for us, number one question, who can oppose us? We're going to find that in verse 31. Who can be against us? Secondly, if God is for us, secondly, who can accuse us? We'll find that in verse 33. And then thirdly, if God is for us, then who can condemn us? We'll find that in verse 34. Number four, if God is for us, who can defeat us? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And then finally, if God is for us, then who can separate us? We'll find that in verse 35 and verse 38 and 39. If God is for us, here's our outline, who can oppose us, verse 31. Who can accuse us, verse 33. Who can condemn us, verse 34. Who can defeat us, in verse 37. And who can separate us, in verse 35, verse 38, and verse 39. That's what we're going to talk about today. Romans chapter 8, saints. I love this passage. We pick up in verse 31. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He in verse 32, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, read verse 35 with me, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, that's convinced, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other created thing. Nothing, honey. Nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall separate us. Oh, read it with me then. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention this morning. As I said, we conclude this awesome chapter, chapter 8. And, uh, you know, somebody once called chapter 8 of the book of Romans the high water mark in Romans. One scholar said, if the Bible were a ring and the book of Romans is precious stone, then chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Another scholar labeled chapter 8 this incomparable chapter. This incomparable chapter. It's incomparable, note takers, because the chapter begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. It begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation and in between no condemnation and no separation. Are you listening? All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It's an incomparable chapter. Now, so far in the book of Romans, particularly in chapter eight, we have learned that God foreknew us. We've learned that God has picked us for salvation We've learned that we've been predestined and we've been called and we've been saved and washed and forgiven and blessed and justified. And we've been sanctified and we are and shall be glorified. And that's what we've been talking about. Then it brings us to verse 31. Go ahead and peek at it again. What shall we say to these things? How about hallelujah? How about wow? That's a lot. What shall we say? You know, I get the impression, saints, look at me. I get the impression that, that when Paul is writing this, I get the impression that, they, that he's just kind of overwhelmed, if you will, at his own writing. I mean, he's writing these things. Remember, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing these things, and he's talking about the fact that we've been picked, and that God has God foreknew us, and God predestined us, and God called us, and God saved us, and God justified us, and he sanctified us, and he, and he washed us in the blood, and he's forgiven us, and someday he's going to glorify us. And I get the impression that Paul is just kind of overwhelmed at his own writing. And he probably looked at that and went, wow, that's good. <laughs> you read your own stuff and go, man, that was good. And he's just like, oh, my goodness. And he probably just passed out. And then when he came to, he goes, whoa, whoa, what in the world? What can I say to these things? If God is for us, then question number one, who can oppose us? 
Now, in the Greek language, listen, go ahead and look at verse 31, if you will, with me again. And right in the middle of verse 31, are you looking at it? It says, if God is for us. In the Greek language, Bible students, this better translates since God is for us. Since God is for us, here's how it reads in the Greek language. Since God is for us, what difference does it make who is against us? In other words, this isn't a question with a question mark. It's an exclamation with an exclamation point. God is for us. Listen to me. Take a moment right now. And just meditate on that thought. God is for us. God is for us. Not God is against us. You know, some people think that God is against them. Some people think that God is the cosmic killjoy. And he's against you. Listen. The Bible says, what saints? God is for us. What does the Bible say, saints? God is for us. Your family might not be for you. Your family may have turned their backs against you. Your children may have disappointed you. Your job may have become redundant and it isn't what you thought it would be. Your marriage may be on the rocks. Your life might be full of problems, but please know, saints, God is for us. Not God was for us, will be for us, or might be for us. It says that God is for us. Listen, God is right now for us. This is good news. Don't you understand that the maker of the mountains is for you? Do you understand that the one who laid the ocean floor is for you? Can I share something with you? Say yes. Because I'm going to anyway. It's rhetorical, man. Not only is God for you, but hear me, the Trinity is for you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is for you. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but if you're taking notes, you write this down. In verse 26 of chapter 8, we learn that the Holy Spirit is for us. In verse 34 of chapter 8, we learn that the Son, Jesus, is for us. And in verse 31, we learn that the Father is for us. Are you getting that? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is for us. Now, if the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is for us, then who can oppose us? Nobody. And how do we know that God is for us? You know, sometimes we think that God is for us when we're receiving good from the Lord. So often we think it's proof that God is for us because God is blessing us. Lord, if you give me a raise on my job, I know that you're for me. And you get that raise. Yay. God is for me. Lord, if you really love me, then you'll let me hit the lotto. 
And if I win 50 million, Lord, I won't give you 10%. I'll cut you in on half. And God's like, Billy, joy. Oh, thank you. What would I do without you hitting the lotto? And we hit the lotto. If you hit the lotto, hook me up. <laughs> no. And we hit the lotto and we think, oh, God is for us. Lord, if you love me, then give me that man. Give me that man to be my husband. And then some years later, you're saying, Lord, you love me and you gave me him. You know, my point is this. Listen, saints, oftentimes we ask God to show us his love for us in some fleshly ways. Don't shout me down. Isn't that true? God, if you love me, then you'll do this. God says, listen, I'm going to prove that I love you, but not in fleshly ways. I'm going to prove to you that I love you by, watch this, I'm going to send my son. Would you look at verse 32 with me again? He who did not spare his own, what saints? Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, God sent his son into the world, born in a manger, took on flesh, became a man. Then God watched as people beat him, spit on him, mocked him, plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. God the Father. Father Almighty, prior to that, watched his son in the garden praying and great drops of blood, hematidosis, great drops of blood began to flow. And Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way for folks to be saved, then let's go with that. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So we know that the fact that Jesus went to the cross is proof positive that there was no other way for folks to be saved. Because if there was another way for folks to be saved, God the Father would have went with that to spare his son. Get the CD. You understand. So God is in heaven watching all of these things happen to his son on earth. Put yourself in God's place now. God we're talking about is the almighty God with all power at his disposal. And it is God who stood by and watched his son beaten. Jesus was beaten for people who could care less. And then God the father took the sin of the entire world and fired his holy wrath on his only son. So saints, I said all of that people listen to say all of this. If you want to know how much God loves you, don't look to a husband or a new car or a new job or hitting a lotto. If you want to know how much God loves you, all you have to do is look at the cross. God sent and gave his most valued possession. The Bible calls it the precious blood of Jesus. That word precious means without Estimation. Can't put a price on it. Without value. Greater than the hope diamond. The blood of Jesus is greater than the hope diamond. And God sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And it is the death of Jesus that is God's ultimate demonstration of how much he loves man. And that he did not spare his only son. 
So if God is for us, then who can be against us? And how we know that God is for us, verse 32, answers how we know God is for us. Because God sent us his only begotten son. God proved it. So who can oppose us? Here's the answer. Nobody, no one that matters. Amen. Point number two, who can accuse us? In verse 33, we just read it. Go ahead and look at it again. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? You know, I think a better question is who doesn't accuse God's elect? Satan certainly does. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 12, right about verse 10, tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That Satan, listen, accuses us before God day in and day out. Do you know Satan never has a good day? (laughs) And he doesn't want you to have one either. So he accuses you. Every day he goes into the presence of God and gets God's attention to draw his attention to every flaw, every defect, every sin, every shortcoming, every weakness. He accuses us. And let's just face it, saints. Satan doesn't lie to God about us. He has enough to accuse us forever. You know, Satan tried to accuse me. I tell him, look, I'm, I'm, I'm better than you know. <laughs> you only know the half of it. I know the truth. But see, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, it tells us if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Do you know that word advocate is attorney? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So who can accuse us? Satan accuses us. Listen, the world accuses us. John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, Jesus said, you know, it hated me before it hated you. And we Christians accuse each other. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And we accuse ourselves. I mean, if you're anything like me, you know, I don't need any help with condemnation. I wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, yeah. We accuse ourselves. But listen, it doesn't matter who accuses us. The Bible tells us who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. God doesn't accuse. God excuses. And God is the one who justifies. And when we are brought, saints, listen, before the court of heaven, our father, who is the judge, Jesus, who is the defense attorney, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. So who can accuse us? Nobody. Answer, no one who matters. Question number three, who can condemn us? You'll find that in verse 34. Go ahead and peek at it in your Bibles. Who is he who condemns us? Christ Jesus died for us. More than that, he was raised to life and he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Listen, the only one who can condemn us is Christ. Amen. And yet he's the very one who forgives us and intercedes for us. He's the one who went to the cross. He is the one who died for us. So who can condemn us? Final answer, nobody, nobody who matters. And question number four, who can defeat us? We find that in verse 37. Go ahead and look at that in your Bibles. 
Yet in all these things, we are what saints? More than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. This word more than conquerors literally means, if you're taking notes, write this in your margin. It means to keep on conquering to a greater degree. We keep on conquering to a greater degree or we keep on winning or we're hyper conquerors. We are super abundant conquerors through Christ. We're more than conquerors. And Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Do you know that verse? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Now listen, the Bible does not say, listen close, that no weapon will be formed against you. The Bible does say, are you listening? The Bible does say, no weapon formed against you, help me Calvary people, no weapon formed against you shall what? Prosper. No weapon shall prosper. It doesn't say no weapon be formed against you. Because some people will form a weapon against you. Satan will form a weapon against you. But the Bible says it won't prosper. You don't believe me? Ask the Pharaoh. Don't you remember as he was children of Israel making their way out of Egypt? And Pharaoh's in hot pursuit chasing Israel to destroy them. The Bible says that the Red Sea swallowed them up and wiped them out. Ask Haman in the book of Esther. As he found out that no weapon would prosper. Haman built gallows to kill every Jew. And Haman ended up in the gallows that he built for the Jews. Oh, you can ask Hitler about forming a weapon to prosper. As Hitler found out, he tried to kill off God's people. And the Third Reich was supposed to last for a thousand years, and it came to an end in 12. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.